Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. And, of course, it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and what a good morning it is. Oh. Isn't it beautiful out there? And you've got another gorgeous day and a busy day coming up too. Well, I hope so. I hope all our listeners, those who are awake yet, and we might even mention it again we'll towards mention the end of the again. program. Yes, yes we will. Um, uh, of course, we're in the midst of the Mount Macedon um, Horticultural Society Garden Lovers Fair up at the beautiful gardens of Bolabek uh, in Macedon. And what a glorious day to stroll oh. through Bolabek. And, and it's looking gorgeous at the moment. I There's, bet. You know, drifts of bulbs and oh. you know the whole and all those new fresh green leaves breaking yes. out on deciduous trees and things. So it's it's looking lovely. Uh, I went in yesterday and had a look around. Uh, we've got thirty stall holders, um, uh, every sort of plant known to man virtually, plus um, garden tools, books, furniture, garden ornaments, all sorts of stuff being sold and, and displayed up there and it's all set out in this wonderful sort of area of lawn surrounded by big old majestic gum trees and it's sort of a real village fair feel and it's just lovely and there's food available as well um it opens at 10 this morning you can get into the car park from nine thirty, um but and not before not before no they won't open the gates and be until nine thirty. yes so then you can get in at nine thirty, get yourself organized get parked and get ready to go into the fair at 10 and uh the garden is part of the, the scenario this time. What we've done is we've actually made a, a, a flat fee of $10 and that gives you access to the fair and the garden as well. Um, and you'll be able to go and buy some food and have a coffee from the coffee cart. And, you know, you could spend, well, I reckon if you can't spend a good couple of hours in the fair bit, plus a good another three quarters of an hour to an hour in the garden, uh, then you're not trying hard enough. And a chance to pick up some fantastic plants. Oh, and look, the peop- most of the people that are there are growers. Yes. So you not only can get some really interesting plants that you're not likely to buy in the average sort of garden centre or big barn, uh, but you've also got the people who grow them there. So you get the information, you you know, the, 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 the secrets on how to... Uh, grow and look after these things really well mm. and you know so you can talk to people like Gary Reed with his weird South African bulbs and things and and he'll explain how to grow them and what they do and um, and you've got people well, you've got Peter Lee from the Hellebore Nursery will be there on site so you can talk to Peter about how to grow them and where to put them mm. and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Is Lyle there this year? Uh, no, Lyle's not there this okay. year. Um, Lyle tends to be a very busy man and it's rather hard to con him into coming up to the plant <laughs> fair, but I'm going to have another crack at him next year. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but we've got um, several bulb growers up there. I mean, Tim Druitt's there with his bulbs. Um, uh, Martin Ferrugi has got his wonderful oh, yes. stuff there. Uh, Shepherd's Fruit Tree Nursery is up there, so if you're looking for a really interesting sort of heritage fruit tree, um, uh, they've got a whole range of those. And this is right at the very end of the bare-rooted season, so you can buy it in a plastic bag to take it home still. Mm. Um, so you can buy a, an interesting apple or plum or whatever. Um, and uh, Gil Teague's there with all his fantastic books. Have you succumbed yet? No, but <laughs> I've got... Oh, that's the other thing. This year we're doing a speaker's marquee. 
Uh, and so there's talks going on through the day from sort of 12 through till the end of the day, so from midday through. And I'm going down to do a talk at midday today. Um, and I did tell Gil that I was going to give myself a few minutes on either side so I could come and have a look at his books. <laughs> I know it's going to cost me money. I know. Yeah, it undoubtedly will. But anyhow, um, what do you earn it for if not to spend it? So, exactly. Uh, and I do love my gardening books. So, yeah, yeah so I'll probably spend something at Gil's. And I would be really surprised if I walk out of there without some plants as well uh, because there really are some really good growers there. Uh, the boys from Antique Perennials are there. Yes, wonderful. They've got amazing epimediums and bleeding hearts and oh. uh, all sorts of fabulous stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it should be a really good day and, uh, and, I mean, the weather's absolutely perfect. Couldn't be better. You know, so... Why not get in the car and go for a drive to Macedon today? I mean, really, you'd be mad not to. So how do people find Bollebeck? Well, it's easy to find. You take the Mount Macedon-Macedon exit off the Calder Freeway. So you've just gone north of Gisborne. Mm -hmm. um, And you stick to the road that says Mount Macedon. Uh, So you virtually go under the freeway straight through the roundabout, except you go round the roundabout, of course, yeah, yeah. and go up Mount Macedon Road and just follow it up. Uh, there's even one of those big roadside signs that says Garden Event Ahead, you know, the ah, flashing lighty wonderful. things. So yes, yes. If you miss it, you're blind and you shouldn't have been <laughs> driving in the first place. I mean, it's 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 easy to find. Yep. And you turn right into Bolabeck and you just follow the driveway right down into the parking area down near the house. So Perfect. Uh, and we've got a plant crèche there. The Boy Scouts are carrying bags out for people to their cars. Oh, even better. So, you know, it's all sorted. Yep. So it should be really... Oh, and there's a fantastic uh, Toro um, power tool raffle going on up there as well. Okay. So you can put yourself in for... I think it's a mower. I can't. I should have checked. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, we've got a you know substantial piece yes. of equipment that's being raffled up there at the moment to Good. raise funds for the society. So, you know, you couldn't have a better day, really. Fantastic. So, there you go. That's a huge plug, and I hope you've all been listening. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll plug it again later yes, on for anyone good. who's still asleep. Good morning, Penny Woodward. Morning, Pam and listeners. It's lovely to be here as usual. And spring has really hit. Oh, yeah. It was so nice to drive up in the daylight. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> yes. I actually woke up before the alarm and I could hear the birds <clears throat> singing and I yeah. thought, yeah, that's really nice. I love this time of year. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, the garden's doing really well and um, there's some lovely things coming out. and. Mm. It's you're thinking about planting and um, yeah. I'm now, when will you start to plant things that I can't? Uh, <laughs> you know, all those yes. summer crops and things. Yeah. When are you going to start I've, those? I've put tomatoes in. Really? Already? Do, have only, you? Only two. Only two. I'm just because I'm always stretching things, and these yeah. are actually um, some seedlings that I bought from diggers. I just wanted to see if I got them in now, if they would be faster than ones yeah. that I will plant in a month's time. So and and it look we may end up with some really warm weather yeah. and and you they may do any. really well and it's yeah. so uncertain these yeah. days that you just don't know. So I picked two of the put two of, the, of ones that I know usually do well a tigerella and a waspinchian peach which I love <laughs> except can't say. Yeah. <laughs> they're the ones that were which have yellow tomatoes and they're very slightly hairy. All oh, right, yes. Yeah, but the hairs come off. So, mm. you know, but they are fabulous and they're really long bearing so yeah. that they go right into right into autumn. So that one's a bit of an experiment because usually if I'm putting them in, I put them in a bit later mm. because I know that they'll go right into the last part of the season. Yep. But I thought I'd see if I put it in really early if it would keep going right through. Mm. 
So I'm always you know, mm. doing too much and trying to fit too much into the well, garden. Well, it's the garden's still full of weeds. That was the other thing. I just right. got on top of them and I've started planting. Oh, yeah. I've decided I've got to plant. If I wait till I've finished weeding and then plant, it'll all yeah, be too late. Be too late. Yes. Yeah. So yep. I'm sort of weeding out little spots <laughs> and putting oh, tomatoes yeah, in. And <laughs> uh, uh, but dear. having fun. I'm really enjoying <clears> it. So. Well, I've been <laughs> madly raising seedlings this year from. Um, because I, I bought, got in a whole lot of seeds of different heirloom veggies that I really want to give a try for this year. So I've still got them on my window ledge. I'm not game to plant them out yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wait till October. Yeah, well, see, up where we are, we, we always say you have to wait till Cup Day, really, <coughs> mm. before you start mm. planting things mm. like tomatoes and yep. capsicums yep. and all that sort of yep. stuff. In fact, I've almost given up on things like capsicums because by the time I start to get a crop, the frosts come in. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. I actually have a friend up that way who grows fabulous capsicums, but he does it by putting it under one of these new fleece products. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. And he just, right from the beginning, they're mm. under that. And because of the increased warmth that he gets yeah. right through, he gets fabulous capsicums yeah. even mm. in a really cold climate. Yeah, oh, that's so good. So it might be I might have a crack at something like that, although... For me, the big problem, of course, is running a commercial nursery and trying to keep a reasonably large garden mm. in in mm. order... I haven't got a lot of time to muck around. No, with you things. can't. I, I've, got to be able to, I've got to be able to sort of whack things in and hope yep. they're going to work. Yeah. Because yep. if yeah. I if I don't if, if if I try and do something tricky like that, I, I know that other jobs won't get done around the garden. And so either that, or you'll forget and yeah. haven't uncovered them, and they've got yeah. no rain. Or yeah, 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 yeah. I know what'll happen. I mean, I've yeah. virtually given up. I, I put a little greenhouse in years ago uh, with the idea of growing things in the ground in the mm. greenhouse. But just to remember to get in there and water and check yes. things. And, mm. and, of course, it ended up full of white fly and God knows what else. Yep. Uh, and I thought, is it really worth all the effort to try and get these crops up and running or am I better to actually grow crops that when almost it's seasonal grow themselves? For your area. And, yeah, and mm. seasonal. Mm. Yep. And, and I actually find my veggie garden is more used to me really for the greens and other things mm. like that than almost anything else. Yep. I grow most of my own garlic, although I've run out already. From last year's crop. <laughs> well, have to grow more. Yeah, well, I did put in a fair bit more this year. I put more of that purple one in you gave yeah. me and uh, and more of whatever the other one I've been growing for but years if you, is. But if you've got plenty in, you could actually be starting yeah. to harvest green garlic. Oh, I, I know, but I, so, I, do you know what? I feel like that's almost wasteful well, not to grow. Yeah. Sacrilegious. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've been thinking it and yeah. I think, oh, will I pull some? But I the think, other no. thing I did is that there's a lot of garlic, old garlic that is sprouting now. Oh, and yeah. if you plant that... It won't grow bulbs, but it will grow beautiful green garlic, and yeah. that can help to fill that gap in. If you'd done that a month ago, you yeah. would have garlic sprouts that yeah. you could, well, be, I actually used that them you could be harvesting. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> so did I. Yeah, I, I, I still keep using my garlic even when it's sprouts sort of sprout. and all. It's yeah, it still tastes it good. It's actually, yeah. some recent research showed that when it sprouts, it's higher in allicin. Oh, oh there you go. We're so doing the right so thing, Steve. Unbeknownst. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I just wasn't going to waste it. No, no, nor was I. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair enough. Okay, yeah. we must say a very good morning to Richard Austin. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, everybody, and not a cloud in the sky, and I think Stephen's convinced everybody to be heading to Macedon Well, today. I'm hoping they will be, <laughs> uh, but uh, does that mean that I'm trying to take people away from something you've no, done? No, 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 no. Right. we've timed it. We've got, it. we've got another week to go. Ah, so that's all right. Well, so right. Well, our, I'll our have big, them this week. Our big show's next weekend, no. and I just hope the weather's as good as it has been this Well, week. I ordered the weather for this weekend. Do you want me to see what I can do for you for next weekend? Get that line <laughs> open, yes. Uh, Mind you, Richard's undercover, aren't you, Richard? Yeah. Well, fortunately, we are. 
Yes, we are. yes. yes. So that now, does make a difference. We we really should spell out. Now, firstly, are you president at the moment? Yes, yes, yes you I are. am. Unfortunately, well I got I got the cross against my name <laughs> yeah. again. It's really hard to get boy. out of that job. <laughs> yeah. We I should say that Richard is president of the Australasian Native Orchid Society, and of course, you have this spring show on every year. Congratulations for yet again. It's, getting everyone organised and you oh, know yes, growing their plants on and getting them into flower and well <laughs> that's still on the lap of the gods at the moment. We just have to you know hope that uh, things are you know not coming out too early and mm. finishing and you know like we all we have a have a deal with with all the people because we have to get plant labels made up. So we have one of our members who kindly takes all the emails and prints all the labels up. Oh, so there's yes. consistency, and we always say every year regardless of what you think might be ready, just send us in the label anyway. If we don't use it, doesn't matter. So, yes. you know, just don't worry about whether they're going to be ready or not, you know. Okay. And, uh, and that, but uh, there's, always, there's always enough to cover. Mm. There's always enough to cover. Mm. And I think, as, as I've said every year, the one thing that people don't usually appreciate until they walk in is the perfume. Yeah. From the, especially the epiphytic group of the native orchids. Yes. Is just, yeah, as so the studio warms up, you're probably going to kick me out soon when these things start to I think we can in. deal with that one and uh, and all of that so you know it's it's just just stunning and of course we'll have a lot of plants for sale on both days so that's the Saturday and the Sunday next next week mm-hmm. at the Mount Waverley Community Centre the Easy place to get where it all to. goes on yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, most people would be familiar with it because there's so many shows oh yeah oh, the gosh, community yes. show and everybody everybody everything. goes in and puts their shows everything on there. there so yeah we have heaps of displays there we've got a big uh, art and photography display oh. as well. Um, they've got our little orchid cafe, so you can get a cup of tea or coffee and some... How aptly named. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Does everything come with vanilla in it? Scon- scones and... <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't mind because that's one of the exotics, so yeah. we, we can afford to sneak yeah, yeah. in with a bit of that yeah. and that. And uh, that, that's that's a really interesting orchid that, that Stephen mentioned there. The, 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 the vanilla the, orchid, the vanilla. yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's actually a climber. Mm. And yeah, I've seen it being grown in Madagascar because that's yeah. still one of the epicentres of uh, uh, vanilla growing. Well, and they are an growing one. a lot here now. They're yeah. growing, growing in Queensland. Yeah. 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 yeah, and even I believe they've they've been trying experimenting down in Tassie even okay. because they've been doing some work. I think it was with the CSIRO on on growing them in these um, like teepee type arrangements. And uh, yeah, because there was a big glut in the apparently in the amount of vanilla available, mm. uh, vanilla beans as they call them, which is just the seed pod from the vanilla orchid. So every time you're adding that beautiful little touch to your food, just remember you are using an orchid. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, is, it is the only orchid, is it not, that has a commercial edibility about it? As far as I as far as I know, mm. you're mm. right. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of a unique plant in mm. lots of ways. Well, it's yeah because because of all those sorts of things. You know, we we have those. I mean, even with our native stuff, while the um, Aboriginals used to eat yeah, a lot eat of the tubers, tubers and all yes. the rest of it, and believe it or not, they used to crush up the stems and and get the gooey, sappy stuff out of that and mix it with their ochre and different colours and it became one of the fixatives that they oh, used ah. for, for rock art and things like that as well. So It's okay. probably not going to get a resurgence though in current No, times. no, no, <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, as I said, with, with the show and, and uh, we have um, free talks on both and, and demonstrations on both the Saturday and the Sunday. 
So uh, we'll have a list of all those up there on display. We might run through them a little bit Do later on. Do you have on. sort of uh, debates between the terrestrials and the and the epiphytic growers? Or they're, the... <laughs> they're pretty good, actually. Although although the the the, the, the Epiphytic people tend to refer to the terrestrial growers as spud growers. Because for, for those of you that, that don't know, we have two clear groups of orchids in Australia. And I might add, there's over 1,700 species of Which orchids in Australia. Which is pretty amazing, isn't oh, it? And, incredible. and we don't sort of appreciate that. But the two clear groups are the epiphytic ones, which are... Um, sim- most people would have a cymbidium at home, you know, one of the exotic big strappy leaf yeah. things with, with the roots. They grow on, you know, rocks and trees and things like that. But probably the gems of the bush in Australia are the terrestrials, mm. which grow from a tiny little pea-sized tuber. Mm. So most cases over some of their dormant. And that's, that's a survival strategy, obviously, with bushfires and heat and all the rest of it. Good time not to be doing anything, you yes. know? Hiding yeah, well, underground where We it's... like to lie back with a pina colada under exactly. a palm tree then too, don't we? Exactly. <laughs> so that's why they get the nickname Spuds. But, um, <laughs> look, I was, I was up at uh, St Andrews and uh, Warrandyte yesterday and uh, just the amount of uh, spider orchids yeah. and donkey orchids mm. and things like that that are out of the Exquisite little things. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So do you have to, as president of the organisation, do you have to be bipartisan? Um. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I must admit, I, I, I do grow both, and yeah. um, I'm probably more into the terrestrials than the epiphytes. Oh, yeah. But, um, no, look, as I said, overall, one, one of the things which is probably Great peacekeeping for us. We're not a judging society. We don't ah. judge plants. We give out what we call cultural certificates for things that we think people have grown particularly well. I think that's a lovely idea. And, and that, that, that's, that's it. So I think that avoids a lot of clashes, <laughs> a lot of dispute resolution yeah, and all this oh, sort goodness, of thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah, some people take their showing very, very they, seriously. They do. They do. <laughs> Richard, does the organisation um, do any work from the point of view of conservation? Hugely, hugely. Um, In fact, um, we have a couple of, um, well, we split up into groups. We just talk, we have the terrestrial group, the the epiphyte group, and we also have the conservation group. And they're regularly out, sometimes they're out for up to a week at different areas doing relocation, might be just weeding, but they might be planting out Mm. orchids that are growing in the laboratory with the botanic gardens. And uh, in fact, we actually... uh, contributed a sizable amount of money to the um, re-establishment of the new um, laboratory down at Cranbourne ah, right. with oh, Nushka Rita. <clears throat> and um, I'm just holding up this, which everybody in the studio oh, is probably looking at. It's a jar with little greens that's, that's in it. That's a jar, <laughs> and that's the way the terrestrials have to be grown in... in um, Sterile conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So what have we got in that jar? Is it something that's, really precious? That's or... a little um, donkey orchid, ah, yes. Drummondii, and that's actually grown on a banana and a coconut culture. But the really important thing with these is that they need the mycorrhiza fungi mm. to establish germination. And that just doesn't... Ha- well, if you sprinkle a bit of seed into a pot... You might something get might something happen. coming. But that's the sort of result you get when you do it properly. But it all has to be done under sterile conditions. And, and I'm, I'm going blind just looking at those tiny little things in there. How the hell do you prick them out when they get to that? Fortunately, <laughs> the agar sort of slides out and you drop it into, into a tray oh, of, yeah. of, of ah. lukewarm water. And then the fun begins. Oh, I can oh. imagine. Teasing it out. 
and what, and trying what not to break them. What we haven't explained to the listeners who can't see what we've got here is it's a small jam jar and it's probably got a thousand small plants. Yeah, tiny yeah. little yeah. green, tiny little grassy little bits. It's, like, it's like hair yeah. growing yes. up. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, when when they all get um, taken out of there, that they're, they're hardened off and they're they're in little tubes and they go into forestry type tubes. And of course, that's what the uh, members use to take out. And oh, yeah, to plant. Yeah. To plant. Very important that we only establish areas with original material from those areas. So you Don't try introduce... and provenance your plants to a particular exactly. area and we'll, all that we'll, sort of thing. Yeah, we'll collect with, with, the, with the help of the oh, DEPI, whatever they call it. <laughs> yeah, they they change call every week. Yeah. But with the help of them, we collect the seed, mm. and uh, that seed that then can be germinated in, in the sterile conditions and then you know reintroduced. Oh, but it's, it's a whole ecosystem. I mean... Well, you guys would really appreciate it that you not only have to decide can we reintroduce the orchids into this area, but are the pollinators present? Yeah, are the food no plants for the pollinators? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. It's it's a whole circle that 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 evolves. Mm. So when something starts to die out, there can be more reasons than just mm. the orchid. Yeah. disappearing you mm. know it's all subtle things so that's that's a big thing our conservation and mm. uh well and you'd waste a lot of time if you don't do all that research wouldn't you absolutely because you could be going out there planting something uh to no real purpose because oh. the conditions are just not there anymore well if, you, if you've got an area where there's chuffs around which which are a bird for people that aren't familiar it's sort of oh it's hard to just, you see them out in the country they're sort of like a bit like a big magpie I suppose yeah with more black than bl- white more, more black yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we and, get them up around our way yeah yeah probably more like a currawong I suppose yeah yeah, yeah. getting yeah. up to almost a currawong size and uh, they absolutely adore digging out orchid tubers oh. Oh, I've just lost interest in chuffs a bit. I didn't realise that. <laughs> um, so you've you've got to, you know, and when you reintroduce an area, the things have basically got to be on their own because you can be in the middle of nowhere. Mm. You know, there's no water access. Yeah, so yeah. they'll take water up there. Everything has to be taken in. And uh, once they get their first hit, they're, they're on their own. Mm. So you've got, you know, all these different pests, diseases that can, can attack things and um, birds, wildlife. Mm. Having said all of that, though, um, you've obviously got all those issues to deal with, but have we got some serious success stories from it all? Absolutely. I think one of one of the best stories is probably the um, nickname is, is the um, Sunshine mm. um, Diorus, mm. um, which is a donkey orchid. Mm. Um, now, back if you go back to the to reading stories in the early, I'm talking about the start of the twentieth century. Mm. You know, the early 1900s and that sort of thing. It was known as snow in spring. It was that prolific, especially through the Themida grasslands, oh, yeah. western side this of Melbourne. Kangaroo grass. Kangaroo right. grass. This yeah, is. yeah. And I think we're down to about one percent of that sort of you know environment left. But anyway, so it was just just everywhere. Um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were down to about four plants in the wild. Gosh. That's and near that, enough to extinction, isn't it? Yes. That was very on a very tenuous sort of ground where it was. And anyway, since all that, that, again, the seed's been collected and all the rest of it, and there's been a couple of thousand reintroduced at a number of different locations. One of the sites is down near the zoo, down, oh, yeah. down along the Geelong Highway there, yeah. um, and a couple of other areas. So it's, it's coming... A, that's been an ebb and flow again. Some of those have been a disaster, some have been a reasonable... And let's face it, 
you know, when you do anything like that, you do it a little bit to excess because you know you're going to lose a little oh, bit. Oh, yes. And, and gradually. But the important thing is it has been, you know, reintroduced. So it's we're been not saved. sitting at four wild plants anymore. We're not looking at photos of it in a book. Yeah. But there was one other quick one, which was a little tiny spider orchid um, that grew or was known from down the Geelong area, mm. hadn't been seen since the 1920s. Goodness. And everybody assumed all the uh, Jeff Jeans and Gary Backhouse books and all the rest of it had fo- photos of, of drawings of it, you know, and all the rest of it, but listed as extinct. And a number of years ago, it was found. One or two plants were found. <laughs> Again, and uh, quickly secured the area, yeah. and uh, little it's called Caledonia um, primula, uh, pumula, sorry, pumula. Yeah. And uh, anyway, again, seeds being collected off that, um, and it's been grown successfully at the botanic gardens. And uh, so, yeah, the chances of that being reintroduced are, are really good oh, now. Fantastic. So, fantastic. So there you go. It's not all about just pretty flowers, is it? Really? It, it is. <laughs> it's about some hard work yeah. in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and in sometimes horrible conditions. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes, yes. You can't pick a day like today necessarily. No, can you? no. Okay, I must get to some community announcements before we uh, move on and invite our listeners to join us. But um, a reminder first up that um, Hancock's Daffodil Garden Festival is continuing on until next weekend. So it does finish 28th of September, so uh, that's next Sunday. So if you'd like the opportunity to go up there, now this is free. It's open daily on weekdays, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. On weekends, uh, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and the farm address is on the corner of Belgrave, Jembrook Road and Grand Tula Road, Menzies Creek. Melway's map reference there is 124E11. And as I say, that is a free addition if you, admission. If you want to uh, have a look at their website, www.daffodilbulbs.com.au. <clears throat> Now, uh, also coming up next weekend is the Victorian Spring Garden and Lifestyle Show, which is taking place down on the Mornington Peninsula. Now, this extends over the three days, the Friday, uh, the Saturday, no, 25th, must be Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Um, They're going to have, maybe that's a misprint, you'd think it'd be on on the Sunday, wouldn't you? Oh, well, 25th to the 27th. Now, uh, highlights are going to include garden and landscape displays, uh, rare plants collector's corner, uh, plant village incorporating the latest release plants and garden products, floral displays, fresh flower market, um, great uh, entertaining area for the children, uh, garden photography competition, uh, some cooking demonstrations, lectures, presentations and workshops presented from three different stages and uh, food and live entertainment. Now, uh, ticket prices are adults, $19, concession, $16. Children under 15 are free, and there are group concessions available. If you want more information, their website is www.springgardenshow.com.au. Now, uh, next weekend, uh, 26th and 27th, so I was wrong, Sunday's the 27th, 26th and 27th, which is Saturday and Sunday of next week, uh, the launch of Open Gardens Victoria is taking place. They're, they're opening their very first garden for the season, 
And this is uh, Rick Eckersley's uh, garden down in Flinders. It's at 371 Musk Creek Road in Flinders. As I say, it's open Saturday the 26th, Sunday the 27th, which is next weekend. There will be an official launch. Um, There's guided tours, food, coffee, local wines, plant sales, children's activities um, and door prizes. Garden prizes? I would have thought not door prizes, but anyway. (laughs) Maybe gate prizes. Gate prizes. We'll call it that. Okay, okay. Now, it is going to be a a family affair. Uh, It opens 10 a.m., runs through to 4.30 on both days. Entry is $10. Under 18s are free. Uh, for more information, you can go to their new website, which is www.opengardensvictoria.org.au. Now, um, we've been extremely lucky here on the 3CR Gardening Show because um, the organisers of Open Gardens Victoria have actually given us a free double pass for mm. one person uh, to attend that inaugural uh, opening on either the Saturday or the Sunday of next week end. So um, if you would like to get your hands on that uh, free double pass to go down to Flinders, um, do give Rosemary a call now. The number is 94190155 and that double pass will be posted out to you. So that number, if you'd like to grab that free double pass, 94190155. Fantastic. Yes. Now, while we're talking Open Gardens Victoria, um, their next uh, one of their next gardens will be coming up on the 3rd and 4th of October. And this is a historic garden. It's a beautiful cottage garden, which is uh, <clears throat> also opening as part of the City of Whittlesea's Cultural Heritage Program for 2015. Uh, now, it is called Zeebel's Farmhouse Garden. Uh, and it will be open along with the farmhouse and the outbuildings. Oh, fantastic. Between uh, 10 and 4.30, both Saturday the 3rd and Sunday the 4th of October. And entry is simply a gold coin donation for that one, which is fantastic. Now, um, do I have the address here? Um, I don't seem to have the address, but what I suggest that you do is, again... Go to their website, which, as I read out before, is uh, is uh, opengardensvictoria.org.au and you'll find that listing of Zeebel's Farmhouse Garden. You can have a look for that. And as I say, that's on, on the 3rd and the 4th of October, uh, 10 through to 4.30 on both days. Now... Uh, Just uh, a couple more to mention. Um, Firstly, uh, Virginia was mentioning last week on air that the Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club have got five gardens open, also on the 3rd and 4th of October. And uh, if you're interested in that one, the first garden, uh, which will be open as part of that opening, Uh, is Virginia's own garden, which is at 50 Linwood Road in Seville. So if you head up to that one, then you will get directions to the other four gardens. So so 50 Linwood Road in Seville for that one, for the five open gardens on 3rd and 4th of October. And finally, uh, Stephen, we uh, we should mention very quickly 
that um, we've got a very special garden festival coming up in Melbourne in springtime, in we October. We certainly have. Yes, and you're going to be a part of it. Yes, I'm going to be the MC. There you go. Uh, and so it's going to be at the showgrounds yes. uh, from the 9th to the 11th. Um, and uh, it, I'm hoping it will sort of grow into being our sort of spring garden festival, like Mifkus is our autumn one. So hopefully in time it will you know, grow into a really major spring event. Uh, it will be over the three days. Uh, there will be talks and demonstrations and workshops and everything will be going on. The three hosts of Gardening Australia will be there. <laughs> Peter Cundall is coming up and he's going to do some workshops and, and Q&As and things. Uh, I'll be there, of course, as the second host along the way. And Costa Georgiidis is going to be there doing some um, uh, vegetable workshops and things like that. They're going to have some sort of veggie beds made up and what have you uh, plotted out for them. And uh, there'll be a whole range of other people there doing talks and things. There'll be foodies there talking about sort of from garden to table, all that sort of stuff as well. So there's going to be a distinct food sort of uh, thing in it. Um, um, some, of the, some of the people that our listeners might know, firstly, Angus Stewart, of yeah, course, of course, from Angus, Garden in yes. Australia. Mm. Um, Attila Capitani, yep. of course. Yeah, he'll um, be there. All, all things succulent. succulent. As, usual, as usual. <laughs> um, and, of course, our good friend Simon Rickard will yep. also be yep. there. Simon will be there. Tim Entwistle is going to be there as well, yes, the director of our true. Melbourne Botanic Gardens. So it's, uh, it's going to be a fantastic happening. I'm oh, really so. interested. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is going to be one of those events whereby it's, it's a little cheaper and easier for stallholders and things to go into uh, as opposed to say Mifkus which is quite expensive and it's sort of got to the point where a lot of the small boutique nurseries can't afford to go to Mifkus that's right but at this one it's probably within the ballpark of a lot of these sort of smaller boutique nurseries so I'm hoping and it seems that it's going that way that a lot of people with really interesting plants and things are going to be there offering their wares Mm. Uh, uh, and so there'll be a lot of the smaller growers uh, will have a presence there Mm. so I think it should be really really good um, and uh, I don't know how many stalls they're going to have, but they're filling up the main pavilion, and it's uh, and there's also another area as well involved in it, and there's also outside displays and things as well. So if there's not sort of 100, 150 sort of exhibitors of one form or another, I'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. So should be quite something. Well, I know Diana and Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm are going to be there with oh, a yeah. stall selling yeah. their roses. So. Yeah, they'll, they'll be there. I know my friends from Riddles Creek that have got bamboo creations are going to be there, so they'll have all those interesting sort of Pumping bamboos and things available. Uh, funnily enough, Dixonia Rare Plants is actually going to have a presence there as well as me being MC, and I've no idea how that's going to work. But anyhow, um, <laughs> I hope you've got some good helpers. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm hoping I've got some good helpers as well because I'll have to be running from the stage to the to the. Fortunately, my stall is not too far away from the stage, so <laughs> I won't have to put on my lycra and and runners, which which is probably good for everybody. Really, I'm pleased about yeah, that. Yeah, so um, uh, but yeah, so there's going to be all sorts of different things going on there um, and, and lots of organisations will have a presence there. Mm. Uh, Garden Plants Conservation Association of Australia, the Plant Trust, they're going Great. to be there um, telling people about what they're up to. Uh, uh, the Royal Horticultural Society of Victoria will be there. Uh, so there'll be lots of those sort of horticultural type organisations involved in the event as well. So, you know, if you're interested <laughs> in specialist societies and all that sort of stuff, there'll probably be quite a number of those uh, having a presence. Mm. So um, it should be good. Can I just say that I'm going to be there as well. Oh, Penny, I'm sorry. <laughs> Everyone's joining in. Yeah. Well, Penny will be there. I mean, I'm, that's now just put I'm, the attendances I'm, up by about 50%. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm just going to be on 
the organic gardener. So, oh, and that's the other thing. I was so, going to say organic gardener is one of our mm, sort of. Um, yeah, they're one of the sponsors. One of the sponsors. And, of and the Peter event. Cundall's coming up to open the show as part of. Yeah, I think he's going to cut a ribbon gardener. or something, or, <laughs> and, or whack somebody um, with a flower. And they actually <laughs> what, ran a prize. The magazine yeah. ran a prize so that someone is coming to uh, is being flown in to meet Peter and oh, that's oh really oh, for the, oh, that's the show which is really nice that's yeah. fantastic um, but I'll be there the whole three days on the stand so yeah. if people want to come and say good day I'm you know happy to answer questions and stuff like that and Organic Gardener has a special offer for the show where you get a copy of our beautiful new calendar yeah. if you um, join and get a subscription while you're at the show brilliant so, yeah. So it'll be fun. I, I think it's going to be great. I'm really, really looking forward yeah. to it. I and it's, it's nice to see a brand new show happening <laughs> Look, in it, Victoria. It, I think we're such a gardening state. in the country state. that could do it, it should be yeah. us. Yeah, we're such really a should. big gardening state. Mm. We need something mm. in spring. Well, exactly. So. And we've ha- we've had our autumn show now running for quite a few years. Mm. It's it's yeah. great to have a spring show as well. Mm. I think so. I've always felt that we've been lacking that sort of spring yes. presence in gardening. And, Absolutely. And it's the time of the year when there's so much beautiful stuff about. And it's great if there's a bit of a point of difference yeah. too so that if you know that one of them you're going to be able to access certain mm. things and certain growers and that the other one you can access other things and other growers then it's it's really nice yeah, yeah. and yeah. i think it's this good. spring show is putting much more of an emphasis on on growing and eating that yeah. that, yeah. that yeah. kitchen yeah. to garden yeah i mean garden to kitchen around the other yeah. way but, yeah. but well yes. sometimes it goes from kitchen to garden <laughs> <laughs> well yes it's a cycle let's face it a complete cycle and, and it's a great time to get the enthusiasm too because oh, you're oh, running in yes. pe- people get motivated when yeah. that weather's the right sort of temperature to be out there and yeah. doing the thing so you know you're yeah. tapping into that yeah i've always maintained that the spring is the time when we should have an event because that's when people have got their sort of well their saps flowing i mean you know yes. everything is sort of moving people want to be out in their gardens uh, and they want to be learning stuff and seeing new plants and all that sort of mm. stuff so it's an ideal time for people to mm. be out and about and of course the showgrounds is a great venue because you've got public transport going zoom zoom around it you can go by train you can go by tram it's got it's close big, to the city do you, know, city. Do you actually know steve if they because usually they only stop at the showground station when the show's on as far as do i know you, i think it is going know, to it yeah, is actually yeah, going i to think have the train running. i think the train okay. will be working you, and there's good car parking because yeah. if you think that yeah. you're going out by train and then find the train oh, yeah, it's not I, actually stopping yeah, don't at believe that station, me necessarily it would be uh, very frustrating well it would be but there's good car parking out there as well so you know it's unlike the exhibition buildings which can be a bit of a nightmare when it comes to parking uh, out at the showgrounds they've got good parking um and um it's a reasonably accessible place yep, absolutely. so it's it's great so it should be great fun and uh, yeah i'm hoping this will build into a really major mm. horticultural event and i think mm. it could yes no it's going to be good right it's more than time we invited our listeners to join us if you have a gardening question or if you want a comment to make a comment do give us a call. We've got uh, Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. We've got Penny Woodward who can talk about all things um, edible, including herbs. We've got Richard Austin from the Australasian Native Orchid Society in the studio. So that number to ring is 94190155. That's 94190155. Before we get back to, to Richard mm. and all his orchids, Stephen, let's have a quick chat about a couple of things you brought right. in. Well, I brought in a selection of woodland plants this morning uh things and when you say woodland plants people go oh but i don't have a woodland and i understand that most people don't have acreage and woodlands and things but really woodland plants are those sorts of things that grow well under the canopy of something deciduous it can be a rose bush 
really. It doesn't have to be, you know, acreage of woodland. Although, no matter how small your garden is, you should have three acres of woodland. Uh, <laughs> be I mean, nice, it's mandatory, it? yes. Yes, with a bridal track, preferably. Uh, and a stream. And a stream, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but if you haven't got those things, you can still have some of the plants. And uh, I bought three along today, two from the uh, European continent and one from the North American. Uh, the North American one is a thing called Uvularia. Uvularia sessilifolia. And this form, actually, it's not showing it yet, but like, after the flowers finish it has golden edges to the leaves and so it's called cobblewood gold and these are a little tiny group of woodland plants that are sort of vaguely related to the solomon seals and lilies so I was of the say valley they look a bit like yeah yep. uh, and yep. they're known in north america as straw lilies and they only grow 10 to 15 centimeters tall and they get these gorgeous little soft straw colored bells with kicked back petals on them uh they're so they're really really elegant it's a beautiful little plant now i planted this in my own garden in macedon two years ago, maybe three years ago, just as a plant out of a six-inch pot. And now I've got a little colony that would probably be a third of a metre across. Mm. And they're all these little stems, and they all stand up next to each other, but they don't grow crowded. Mm. So you've got this lovely little sort of drift. And it's the most beautiful thing. It just suddenly erupts out of the ground. I mean, these... Two weeks ago were below ground level, okay. and now they're up and in flower. Uh, so you can watch them day by day growing. Um, and it's the sweetest little thing. I mean, it's, it's never going to be something that is going to have wow factor exactly. Uh, you know, most of the time I've got to drag people by the neck over to it and say, look at that, because it's not a mm. big showy flower. Yes. But it is a beautifully elegant little plant. Um, and all it really needs is deciduous overhead canopy and a good piece of leafy soil. So get plenty of leaf mould and compost and stuff like that dug in. Uh, and then keep plenty of leaf mould over the top for it to pop up through, just like it would in the wild. Mm. Uh, they don't mind getting a little bit dry in the summer later on when it starts to go down, so it doesn't need to be kept moist all year round. Um, and I just think the, the straw lilies are really, really gorgeous. It's just the most beautiful little thing. So mm. there you go. So uvularia, which I might add, it's named after that bit of skin that hangs down the back of your throat. Oh, okay. So some botanists, your uvula, uh, some botanists aren't romantics when they name plants. Uh, I've probably just turned everybody off buying one. <laughs> um, but yes, that's what it's named after. Okay. So, unfortunately. Right. And the second one that I think I should mention too is I'm a great believer in, in cyclamen as a garden plant. Um, the little wild ones, they self-seed, you end up with drifts of them, uh, and you can have them in flower all year round if you've got a range of species. And the one that's in it, that's hit its prime at the moment is one of the obvious spring species, uh, which is Cyclamen repandum, and it grows on some of the Mediterranean islands up into the Peloponnese in Greece and, uh, and across into Turkey. Um, and it has the most elegant, long-petaled flowers on it. It has an incredible... Um, violet perfume uh so when you get a big drift of it it has a really wonderful mm. scent um and i've got a drift of it up at the mm. nursery now that after about eight or ten years in the ground that started off with one or two tubers that i put in uh it would be well again the size of this studio uh so i don't know 12 feet by 12 feet i suppose ish mm. um uh that is is now just a, a drift and it's just this amazing Gorgeous. drift mm. of magentary pink flowers mm. and they flower for for months. I mean, this particular species started flowering about oh, a month ago. And as long as it doesn't get too warm too quickly, because uh, once it gets really warm, it'll just 
die down. Uh, but if we don't get too warm, it'll still be in flower towards the end of November, early December. Um, and then, in theory, the summer flowering species will come online. Mm. Uh, and then you have your autumn flowering species and your winter flowering species. So it's one of the few groups of tubery, bulby type things I can think of that you can virtually cover the year with. And one of the few groups of bulbousy type plants that also have beautiful leaves. You know, nearly every other bulb you think of, you grow them for their flowers. You know, you don't grow daffodils for their leaves. You don't grow most of those sorts of things for their leaves. But collectors of cyclamen will often select specific forms that have got particularly good foliage. Mm. Uh, so they'll come in and they'll say, oh, yes, that's a nice repandum. But then they'll find the repandum that's got really beautiful marbling in the leaves or, or the pewter-leafed one or, or whatever. Mm. Um, and so you can start collecting the different sort of foliage forms and things. I mean, I've got one in the garden at the nursery at the moment that is just exquisite, and it's a, actually a hybrid one between repandum and one of the other spring species. And its leaves are so white-spotted, they're more white than green. And it is just exquisite. Everybody loves it. But at this stage, I haven't had it set any seed. And I don't even know whether it's going to come true-ish to seed because um, sometimes they will, sometimes they don't. Yep. So I've now got to isolate that plant um, uh, somewhere sort of pr- preferably out of the view of the public for a while. I think I'm getting sick of people asking for it uh, and to see if I can get it to set seed. And then two or three years down the track after that, I should be seeing whether I've got things that are, uh, are similar in, in form to this particular hybrid one I've got. Mm. So they are, they're great plants and everybody should be growing them. I just, they're just so easy. Um, they come from Mediterranean style climate. So they're used to that sort of winter, spring rain sort of thing and dry in the summer. Uh, the only one that's not, in fact, is the summer flower one, uh, Cyclamen purpuracens, which comes from the cool hills in Italy and places like that. And it does need summer irrigation and it's virtually evergreen. But the others all have their, their, their cycles that they fit perfectly into our normal year-by-year um, weather patterns. Perfect. So they're actually ideal plants for Australia. And I think the problem is that because so many people are used to the big flowery pot ones, uh, which can be a little bit iffy to grow, uh, particularly if you decide to put them indoors because they're not really indoor plants. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but people think of them as being sort of a bit of a prima donna plant. <laughs> but the, the wild species aren't. Mm. They're generally speaking really easy, with the exception of one or two that keep the collectors happy. There's always that really hard one to grow. So, you know, you, you, you <laughs> need to be the able, bragging rights. Yeah, of course, <laughs> you need to be able to grow and flower Cyclamen purpurassens or Cyclamen rolfsianum, which are both quite delicate species and, and require a little bit of finesse to grow them well. So there's stuff there for the collector and then there's stuff just for the home gardener. Mm. In the group, so perfect. Yeah, so I think they're two of my lovely things. Do we, okay, we've got we, some calls we need to go to a so. couple of calls. Yeah, we'll get back to that last one. All right, we have uh, Robert in Phillip Island online. Good morning, Robert. Oh, good morning. How's everyone going? We're well. How's the rabbits going? Oh, look, I've got a sad tale to tell. Uh oh. Oh yes, look, I've been catching rabbits, as everyone. Uh, oh, I'm sure they'd be pleased to hear about. <laughs> I took the ferret out yesterday, and I never got a rabbit. Really? Oh, I did about eight burrows. Does and that mean that you've cleaned out the area or the rabbits know you're coming? Well, well, it could have been that. Mm. Yeah, the, the rabbits might have known I was coming. <laughs> all that came out were a few young ones and I wished them well and <laughs> I thought uh, I might see you young fellas in a couple of months' time. <laughs> but I had a poor day. The ferret had a lot of work, of course. It loved every minute of it. So yes. You don't always get a rabbit. So okay. came home without a rabbit. So. Oh, dear. So you have to go to the butchers now. Well, it might be old sausages instead of rabbits. <laughs> uh, anyway, I might have better luck next week. Right. Uh, look, um, I was going to ask Stephen, uh, I had some, we've got some dahlias starting mm-hmm. to think dahlias. 
I'd left some uh, undercover, but they've dried out. Oh. Is there any way, Steve, that they can be freshened up? It depends on how dried out they got. Uh, and without seeing them, that's a bit hard to say. But, yes, if daily tubers really get all wizened up and really dry looking, they're probably dead. Right. Um, uh, in fact, if I've got a special dahlia, um, most dahlias I leave in the ground until towards the end of winter, lift them up, divide them and put them back again. I don't worry about lifting them early in the season because then you've got to put them under something, some moist sand or some yeah. something like that or some sawdust or something to keep them in yeah. good condition. Uh, so if my soil's well-drained, I leave them in the ground, just lift them to divide them when I need to. Um, but um, uh, And, in fact, I've got a couple of pots of dahlias that I'd grown and flowered in the pots and I've just left them in the pots. I've dried them out a little bit but not fully and I'm just about to start dividing them again now. Um, If you just plant them back and see what happens, some of them might still be alive. But don't hold out any great hope if they've really dried up. and In fact, break one of the um, tubers in half. And if it's still got a fair bit of moisture inside, you might be right. Right. But if they're sort of dry all the way through, forget it. Just right. put them in the compost. They're not going to do anything. Good. Are you still dabbling with the dinner plate dahlias? I remember you said you used to grow a lot of the dinner Not so much. I'm, I mean, I've become rather too tasteful for dinner plate dahlias these days. Um, I mean, they're fun. I, I have to say um, they're sort of a man-made construction. And to consider that from the simple wild dahlia, they've bred this thing up the size of a soup tureen, uh, is pretty remarkable. But apart from the fact of growing the biggest dahlia known to man, I can't see much point to them, I have to say. Or to put them on the show bench, of course, which is something that a lot of people do. And that seems to be a... it seems to be a passion of men of a certain age to grow big dahlias. I don't know quite why, but it seems uh, to be, you know, all the, all the big dahlia growers seem to be guys. And, yes, yes. and I think they're, they're trying to outsize each other for some reason or another. And uh, so they're fun to grow, but, I mean, I don't see they have a great deal of garden context, unfortunately. They're no, just too I big. No, I notice, too, sometimes the rarer colour can be the one that rots easier or lose easier. That's that's called Murphy's Law. Ah, right. <laughs> yeah, the good ones are always the ones you're going to lose. Oh. Uh, and I don't know why that works that way. Obviously, though, if you're breeding plants all the time, sometimes you breed hardiness out of them. And that is one of the issues with a lot of different groups of plants. I mean, roses, for instance, sake, they were breeding up those beautiful, big hybrid tea roses and they were ignoring things like black spot and mildew and all that other stuff. Now they're starting to breed roses back for toughness and hardiness and things. They've realised that was a bad move. The dahlia growers are probably, they went in in a similar sort of way. They were breeding things for the show bench without any real sense of growing them for the open garden. And, of course, there's going to be 5,000 people wanting to grow a dahlia in the open garden to everyone who's going to want to put things on the show bench. So if you want to grow a good plant that's going to stay out there in in cultivation, then you need to breed for gardens. You know, the show bench can be the secondary thing Uh, and that's happened in lots and lots of groups of plants and they do tend to breed the hardiness out for novelty and it's it's a bit unfortunate but i think we're we've probably gone almost full circle now and i think in most groups of plants people are breeding back for toughness hardiness and for garden worthiness and i think that's where we need to be going well, thanks very much. And uh, look, I, I might have a better report on the rabbiting next week. Oh, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Good on you. Bye. Bye. And next up, we'll go to Jill, who's out in Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. Hi, Stephen. Uh, I'm telling about the Herb Society's event next Saturday at one thirty, 
at Burnley Horticultural College, and that's herbs of the First Fleet and of the early colony of New South Wales. So there'll be plants on show, uh, many of the herbs that have that were taken on the First Fleet, and of course, the First Fleet called into Rio de Janeiro and to Cape, um, the Cape of Good Hope to South Africa. So there's also a few plants that are related to that, and um, then native plants of New South Wales and um, the colony of Port Phillip. And that's Sue Evans talking about that, and that's uh, 1.30 for 2 o'clock, and it's at Burnley Horticultural College in the main building, room 10, 500, Yarra Boulevard, Richmond, if, we, if you're looking at your, mo your mobile phone or Google Maps, and Burnley, um, oh no, the other way around, Burnley um, on Google Maps, and Richmond if you're looking at the Melway, which is 45A12. And, and Jill, when... afternoon tea, plants for sale, books for sale, and a jolly day time. And Jill, it'll be a fabulous, it's Penny speaking, this will be a fabulous day. You always run such a good event at the Healing Herbs Seminar and um, I think it'll be absolutely fascinating to find out what actually came out with the First Fleet. One assumes it was for flavouring mutton. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's, Sue has done a heap of research from the Mitchell Library. Um, I've done quite a bit of research on books and online and, you know, there's vague comments like vegetables from um, Cape Town, things like that. Mm. Um, but she's gone into the actual plants that were there. And Penny, Penny said garlic. Um, yeah. In her last time I was speaking, um, yeah, or I, heard her I, speak. And, um, yes, yeah, so that's fascinating, isn't it? And then, would you believe, I tried to buy Warrigal Greens, um, Tetragonia, at Ceres, missed out on the last plant, and two other nurseries haven't got it yet. So they advised me to get seed. Fortunately, one of our members has um, has it growing, our president, so she's bringing some for show. Okay, so edible plants, but I've also found that there were some other plants that had a native plant, you know, that had other uses. So that's interesting. Good. Okay. okay. Well, see people there. And Jill Bryan's mobile... 0478-652-223. Uh, you can look at the Herb Society website because the number's there or on Facebook and that's um, herbsocietyvic.org.au. Herb Society Vic is one word. Okay. Thanks for all of that, Thanks Jill. Thanks very much, Pam. Bye. Bye. Stephen, let's get back oh, to the last plant. All right, yes, we might as well mention the last one I bought yes. in. Uh, this is something that comes from the woodlands of um, Turkey and surrounds, uh, and it's a plant called Pachyphragma macrophylla, and it's quite closely related to wasabi, and actually Penny and I were discussing it when I came in because she thought it looked like wasabi, and I'm not altogether sure whether it's edible or not. Uh, it possibly is, but I haven't read anywhere where it's been used for anything. Um but as a woodland plant, it's, it's fantastic. It makes a neat clump, 
and self-seeds itself into any sort of well-cultivated ground. So if you've got a nicely sort of dug over border with leaf mould and stuff lying around, then it will self-seed itself into it. Now, I have a whole area under a, a hazelnut tree and a, and a maple in the garden at home that this has slowly taken over. Um, having said that, when I say taken over, it's made this lovely mat of white flowers at the moment, but other things grow between it. So it doesn't seem to swamp its bed pa- bed companions. Mm. Uh, it's just this carpet of white at the moment, uh, and it's a really clean, pristine white. And in the shade where it's growing, it just Would lights look gorgeous. It, up. it yes. is just beautiful. Um, and when the flowers go over, uh, it's still got a few of its old leaves from last year in this pot. But when the flowers go over, the new leaves come up, and you get these quite large, heavily veined, um, sort of rugose leaves, sort of heart-shaped leaves. And so it makes a good um, summer ground cover as well. So it does tend to help swamp out weedy things that might be self-seeding around. Uh, so it makes a good ground cover in that sense. But it doesn't seem to swamp out the permanent sort of perennially things within your border. Um, and so I think the Pachyphragma is a lovely plant, uh, something that we don't see in Australia very often as a, as a garden plant. Uh, and although it's spring flowering with a lot of the other woodland plants, its foliage hangs around pretty well all year, so it does give a furnished look to a border where you've got other ephemeral things that come and go. And that's probably one of the biggest downsides to a lot of woodland plants. They leave a gap when they go down. Mm. And in gardens in this day and age, we tend to be rather greedy and we want places to keep performing all year round. Yes. <laughs> uh, we don't have the winter garden and the summer garden and things, so you ignore one and go into the other. Uh, so all parts of our garden need to perform. Uh, so some of these woodlanders that sort of come up, do their thing and disappear are all very lovely, but you need to have something that has a presence longer. And the Pachyphragma will do that. Uh, and I think it's a great plant. I'm really, really, really taken with it. And I do have to do some research and find out whether we can eat it. Yeah, I don't see why not. It's pretty close to wasabi. So uh, it may not be spicy, but it's probably edible. I'm assuming mm. you could eat the flowers because you can on virtually everything in the in that group. Mm. I mean, I, I eat all my cabbage flowers and broccoli flowers and kale flowers and all that stuff. Mm. No reason why I shouldn't eat this too. Research, Stephen. Yes, some research. It yes. looks very like a tall growing alyssum. It does, it? yes. It's yeah. got that sort so of look about it. So it has that same feel. Yeah. And you were saying that it is very attractive to some of the beneficial insects oh, yes, as yes. well. Yeah, so a lot of the hoverflies and things like that. It's good to have things coming out mm. at this time of year mm. when we're wanting our fruit trees pollinated exactly. and all that sort of thing. Mm. So, yeah, it's a really Imagine good carpets one. of this under your apple trees. And that's, yes. that's only, it looks like, what, 20 centimetres it'll get yeah. to, Stephen? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's about, about it. it in yeah. flower. And when the leaves come up, they'll come up to almost the same height later. So you'll end up with these mats of, of really wrinkly, beautiful leaves. Um, to about the same height by midsummer. Gorgeous effect, and as you said, that white, especially in, in your you know a, a sort of shaded area, oh, yeah. just brings it it's brings wonderful. it to life. I can sit on my front veranda, which we are doing again, having cups of tea and coffee in the morning, and look out <laughs> over this curtain or carpet of it uh, at the moment underneath mm. my maple tree just in front of the veranda, and it, it's just lovely. Beautiful, you know. So yes, I've become really quite passionate about this plant, and you and you don't see it around. I I don't know anybody else who's growing it at the moment. Um, I hope there are other growers doing it um, uh, because I love that whole group. In fact, I love the cardamines as well. There's a whole group of those that are great woodland Mm. plants, which are all closely related to that thing we all know as flickweed. Uh, in fact, they're sort of flickweeds on steroids, really, mm. but they don't do the flicky seed thing like the <clears> flickweed does, and it doesn't. And the ornamental ones don't become weedy. So, mm. um, so I do have one card of mine though that looks like a flickweed on steroids until it flowers, and I almost 
go to pull it out every time I see it mm. in the garden. And it's beautiful because it has these large double mauve flowers, so it's completely sterile. Um, but it just looks like a giant flickweed, and I almost pull it out. Oh. It. <laughs> I get so close. All right, so there you go. They're my little woodlanders for this week. Okay, excellent. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio this morning, we have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Penny Woodward, expert on all things edible, and Richard Austin from the Australasian Native Orchid Society. So if you'd like to give us a call, we're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. So the number, 94190155. That's 94190155. We're going next to Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Morning, Hugh. Good morning, everybody. Victoria, good morning. Get up, get your gardening sorted out. I hope you're taking your own advice, Hugh. Oh, look. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling. Well, first of all, I have a few mentions. Um, they're not meant to be a complaint, but just how I struggled sometimes with listening to Srisia. That Anus man, um, he, he calls himself a spot grower. He didn't say where the show is. Yes, we did at the um, at the uh, Mount Waverley Community, Community Centre. Well, then I missed that. Yes, yes. No, we <laughs> did mention where it was. Also, an Anos show, I think, in Montrose. And I haven't got a flyer, and I, I wasn't quite sure which Anos man he is. And uh, the um, and the other one is um, the, I, I'm not a member of Maruna Orchid. Maroon, Maroon da Orchid Society. I, I'm not a member of them. I haven't got a flyer. There is also a fantastic orchid show next Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then, Pam, sometimes it helps if you make a, a back announcement. You were talking at length about this beautiful show, the spring show. And I thought, is that now Red Hill or where the bloody hell is that? Showgrounds. Yeah, there was a mention of showgrounds, and I thought, oh, that's not Red Hill. So I I struggle at times, and perhaps others do too, and perhaps the people make a back announcement. But that is just, by the way, it's not meant to be a complaint. Right. But what I really want to know is I'm still struggling with my arisimas and aroms. Now, um, I pulled some of the arasimas out again, but I had done the right thing. The, the, the round bit was facing to the earth and the Good. flat bit to this thing. And um, they've been shooting up 15 centimeters above soil level, and um, the, the snails had a marvelous time. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Now, I had plant now. Now, the problem I'm having is with... Um, Aroms, because the books and things I've been reading about, they're very, even they say nothing, or I don't understand it, or whatever it is. What's the difference between Arisema and an arum? I got a plant, for example, Armophophollus. Armophophollus, for those people who are interested, Armophophollus. Uh, and uh, is that now an arisema? No, it's uh, the Amorphophallus is a genus all of its own. They're all in the aroid group. They're all in the arum, ar- aroid family. But Amorphophallus, arisema, and arum are all separate genera. So arisema is one genera. Yeah. Amorphophallus is another genus. Uh, yeah, another genus. Yeah. And which 
one was the third. And the and and Aram itself is a is a is a distinct genus. <clears throat> uh, I see. That's what that is. Yeah. So there and there's lots of others. I mean, there's Bayarum. Uh, there's a lot of different genera in the Aroid group that, because it's a very big family. And there's uh, particularly in the tropics. I mean, uh, Monstera and Philodendron are, are Aroids as well. Yeah, well, see, I compared the the, the corms or yeah. bulbs, whichever way you like to call it. That's that's a problem on its own. Are they corms or are they bulbs or what? You know, um, tubers actually. <laughs> well, see, that's another thing because normally, if you talk of a tuber, you you visualize something that is thick and flat, which is just a, a fat root, you know, so to speak. Yeah, well, they they are classified as tubers. Uh, yeah, well. Hmm. Okay, then the other thing is, there is um, Folkrea I got. Folkrea, um, I spell it for you, F-U-R-C-R-A-E-A, right? Mm-hmm. And they call that, if you look at that, that, that plant, it, 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 it has a very rude appearance. That's why some people call it the cow's bum. Then a dog's bum, all sorts of things, because it's just a very yeah. wood-looking plant. Now, where where does that fit in? Is that Nowhere near the arums. It's an agave. Yes. It is, um, so to speak. Uh, I um, uh, um, does it? Uh, what, what does the flower look like? Uh, on the fakrayas, it'll send up a really tall stem with white bells. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. So, and it has nothing to do with with Arisimus. No, nope. no. It's it's. Well, I don't quite know where the families sit at the moment because <coughs> plant families are being thrown all over the place. But I would have seen it years ago as being Liliaceus, um, uh, and it's probably now Argaviaceae or something else a little bit more restrictive. So I'm not quite sure where it sits now. But it's more related to the true lily type plants than it is to the the arum type plants. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's okay. a quite different group of plants. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thanks very much for your help. And that, that Spatgrauer, <laughs> um, did you really say where it, where it was? Yes, we, yes did. we did mention yeah. it, Hugh. <laughs> yeah, Hugh. You you're... need a paper and pencil, I think, when yeah. you're listening. Or perhaps a hearing aid. Sunday mornings and I have problems. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, Hugh. See okay, you later. Have a nice weekend. Enjoy okay. your show. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Richard, that gives us the perfect yes, opportunity but, to... I, isn't that called a segue? <laughs> yes. <a> segue. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, firstly, Maroondah Orchid Society, are they... There's a number of what they... The acronym's ANOS, which is the Australasian Native Orchid Society, where... Just it's a bit of an unfortunate acronym it, because it does sound like something else. Yes, it does. <laughs> it, it, it does, and we won't go there. Um, and uh, but we're the Victorian group right. now. There's Melbourne suburbs. Um, there's there's a Maroonda group. Um, there's Geelong as well. Geelong groups. Right. But we're we're the Victorian group. So right. We're, now, it does raise an issue. You call yourself Australasian. Does that mean we include New Zealand? We include a New Caledonia. And New Caledonia. We've got, we've got, if you go through it, oh no, I haven't got it with me, unfortunately, but if you go through it, it, it goes through all the islands and, yeah. and uh I think and New Guinea areas. as well. New Guinea, yes. certainly. Cer- 
certainly. Yeah. We yes. have New Guinea and uh, some of the islands. So north. you're not so restrictive as to just be geographically Australian. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, That's it was right. a question I meant to ask because I thought mm. Australasian, you know, you could take that in lots of ways. Mm. Exactly, mm. exactly. And, and it does does open up because you've got a lot of interesting orchids in those areas oh, yes. and a lot oh, of similar gosh, yes. ones, particularly mm. in New Zealand and, uh, you know, even uh, in uh, New Guinea and, yeah. and all the rest well, I've just come back from New Caledonia and I found mm. quite a few terrestrials particularly yeah, growing there. There was a few uh, epiphytes as well I managed to find, but there was quite a few interesting terrestrials that only grow there. And that's the thing with, with so many of the epiphytes in particular, um, you've got to look at altitude. Mm. And if, if they're, you know, in that area, say, typically from 400 to, say, you know, the 1,400-metre mm. range, there's a good chance they're going to be perfectly suitable for growing in a Melbourne yeah. scenario. It's the lowland and, and coastal plants from the tropical regions that tend to need the glasshouse scenario, but the other ones are used to getting down to very low temperatures. So you've, you've got that advantage that there's a lot of things, just because it comes from the tropics doesn't mean it won't handle Melbourne. Well, all and year and you're right, because you do have to consider the habitat they grow in. I mean, mm. I'm actually growing quite a few, not orchids, but I'm growing quite a few New Caledonian plants at Macedon. Yeah, yeah. I've even got a, a, a cowrie, uh, an agathus, from Vanuatu and Fiji. That's right. It's been through two winters mm. without yeah. virtually any protection whatsoever and, in fact, showed less frost damage than Agathus robusta, the Queensland cowrie. Um, so it obviously comes from a higher altitude than, than the Queensland cowrie does. So, That's right. Yeah. And, and, and it, 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 well, we well, well know the temperatures up there can be very, you know, even go to the Atherton Tablelands oh, back gorgeous. in Melbourne, in, in, in Queensland, I should say, mm. you know, and, and you're typically down to zero degrees, mm. you know. You want to go to Warwick there. in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, well, you don't. No, you don't. Yes, actually, you're right, Penny, you don't. But it's cold up there. That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay, so to get back to the show, which uh, for Hugh's benefit yeah. is at the Mount Waverley Community Centre next weekend, <clears throat> yes. Saturday and Sunday, opening at 9 o'clock both days, Yep. running through until 4 o'clock both days. That's right. Okay, excellent. And you mentioned that there is, apart from, from obviously the displays of orchids and sales of orchids, I presume... Uh, there's going to be things like tools and equipment as well. Or oh, talks, talks. And talks, talks, talks. talks. This is primarily. What the, yes, this is yeah. what I was wanting to get to. So yeah. talks on potting, demonstrations. We um, do. We have um, – I'm starting off on the Saturday with, with, with that favourite subject about dealing with pests and diseases, so how to, how to look after all those naughty things that get into your, into your plants. And uh, then Helen Richards, who most people that are interested in orchids will know, um, she was one of the founding members of, of the uh, Australasian Native Orchid Society in Victoria. Um, she's talking just about terrestrials, how to grow them. And if anybody knows, it's Helen. Mm-hmm. And then we go uh, on Saturday afternoon at 1.30, we have uh, Wendy Clark, who is a professional photographer, but also one of our members, will be talking about understanding your camera. Now, we have so many people out in the field. Yeah, taking pictures taking of Taking pictures yeah. and all the rest of it. And with your digital ph- photography these days, understanding how to get the best out of your camera hmm. is uh, is a wonderful thing. And to, to basically get a, a free, very comprehensive lesson, it's the ideal opportunity to jump in with, with a professional photographer. Yes. And, and that's a, Would you and, suggest bringing your own camera? Um, you, you can you, bring it along if, if, if you, if you um, have questions about a few mm. functions, Wendy would be more you than know, I was thinking that could be a really doing, good way of yeah. you know, getting one-on-one help with the particular 
camera. Then you can practice on all the display. Well, orcas. exactly. You can go around and take pictures of everything. Yeah. There's going to be plenty. That's right. <laughs> it, it's it's a good way of getting into it. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, on the Sunday, we, we've got a session starting off on on uh, the epiphytes. So how to pot them, how to mount them on boards, whatever you might be be doing. Mm. And uh, Dick Thompson, who's been in the conservation area for a long, long time, will be talking about that side of it. And uh, I'll finish up with a talk on the Sunday Arvo about the orchids around Melbourne. Oh, and, um, you know, I did a little ebook CD a couple of years ago and, you know, we, we did some surveying roughly within an hour's drive of the Melbourne CBD. We've identified over 130 species that are still to be found. That's fantastic. You know? So it's, mm. it, it just opens everybody's eyes up yes. to you know, what is still there. Yes. And, uh, Actually, that does raise an issue. Uh, people's eyes open. That, all, for me, is always the issue. When you've got something that's small and dainty, unless people have got their eye in, they just they walk straight past it. They don't that's see right. it. That's right. Mm. And, 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 and yeah, it's, it's similar to the, to the woodland plants mm. that Stephen's got there. You know, they're, they're almost, you know, these are the woodland plants or bushland yeah. plants of, of Australia, in yeah. a way, a lot of the native ones because that's where they are, in amongst the grass. Mm. Yeah. And some of them never get higher than, um, you know, your thumbnail, yeah. effectively. They're, they're, they're flat leaves, flat, yes. ground level, and a tiny little flower yeah. on top of it, and that's it, yeah. you know, growing on the ground. Which reminds ground. me, is, is there a field guide for the Melbourne area? Um, not specifically, although that CD that I have, and it will be available at the show that, that as, as an e-book, that does have um, about 600 photos and about 200 pages of descriptions of those particular orchids. There are more comprehensive um, books that cover all the orchids that are found throughout Australia and uh, and all the rest of it. So there's plenty of material around mm. in that aspect. And, I mean, that's one of the good things about being a member because we have regular field trips where we take members out into different areas. Yeah. And they actually can see these things they in the wild. And they get them pointed understand. out to them. Yeah. Yes. yeah, and I mean, the one of the good things about that, some some areas which are actually you know, private land, which people wouldn't normally get access to, mm. you know, um, they get invited in, in there as well. So they Fabulous. get to see some unique things Wow. And, uh, and all the rest of it. And they're virtually going on every month of the year. You know, and uh, that's and that's the other thing with the spread of these. I know a couple of spots near Melbourne where I could take uh, anybody there every month of the year, mm. including summer, and we'd find an orchid in flower. Mm. You know, fantastic. Mm. So, how do people join? Simply get onto our website, which is um, Anos Vic. Just 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 Google Anos Vic, and it'll come up. And uh, there's a membership form there, and you can just download the membership form, fill it out and uh, get it posted off to us. Mm. Just just print it off and uh, post it off to us. All the address details are on the website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, if you come along to the show next weekend, we'll have people there that will be happy yeah, you to sign up you up. Yeah, yes. sign you up on the spot. <laughs> and uh, plenty of books. We've got a very comprehensive little book on growing both the epiphytes and the terrestrials that we printed some years ago. We're about to revise it, but it's been so popular, we've actually had to do another reprint That's of great. the original book. Excellent. And uh, there'll be a lot of other books about, which will be effectively field guide books from, from different people there that'll cover some of the areas around Melbourne mm. and uh, and all the rest of it mm. as well. So there's plenty of material, plenty of material. And when does the Victorian group meet? We meet... 
the, usually the first Friday of the month. It varies a little bit when you get Easter on Good Friday. Oh, sure. yeah. It's a bit hard and all yep. the rest of it. Um, the only month we don't meet is January, of course. So, uh, and our meetings are at the Turak Uniting Church in Turak Road. And uh, we start at seven, sorry, eight o'clock. Eight o'clock our meetings start. We have a lot of um, very good guest speakers coming along. In fact, um, in November, I think we have Mark Clements who's been doing a lot of the DNA work on, on orchids from the Canberra University and, uh, and whatnot. So, um, you know, guests are welcome to come along and just see what it's about. Mm. And we have a monthly bulletin, which um, is getting bigger than Ben-Hur. <laughs> the last one we, we, with extra stuff, it finished up being 16 pages. Goodness gracious. And uh, fortunately, we've got so many people that are email members because uh, it's only, it's only, we only charge $18 a year membership if, if it's email. If you want a black and white bulletin posted to you, it's $24 a year. But um, with so many, because we're pushing up around the 700 members now these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when, you, when you've got a lot on email, it's, it's great because they can get the full colour thing and it's mm. all lovely. But the posted ones, they're getting costly. <laughs> <laughs> Are they what? And they take a lot of long time to get there now. Too. Well, they're going to take longer, I think. Yeah. Uh, we, might, we might go to uh, Robert in Mitcham who wants to ask about native orchids. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, good morning. Okay. We've got uh, some clumps of very basic uh, orchids. I, I think uh, dendrobium, just little mauvey purple ones and little white ones. Can you tell me, uh, as far as flowering is concerned, do they flower on new growth or do they flower? Do the, do the old growth keep on flowering? The old growth can produce a number of um, racemes. Okay, and they'll be like little, they're like, well, we call them pseudobolts, but they're, they're, you've clumps, are they in pots or have you got them mounted on something, these no, particular? No, they're in pots inherited from family and okay. some of the pots are probably a couple of feet across and then probably about 40 to 50 years old. Yep, yep. Um, the good thing about those orchids is they're, they're, they'll be the little kingianum type forms of the dendrobium. There's so many different hybrids and all the rest of it, but they're all pretty hardy, tough things. Um, they must be because I've been neglected. Yep, yep. If you've got them outside, as long oh, as yep, they, yep. Get, they get some, some rainfall, and uh-huh. uh, the one thing with flowering on any of those orchids is light, is probably the biggest thing, okay? A lot of people think they need a lot of, you know, shelter and protection and put them in a dark corner, which they'll grow beautifully, but they'll be very sparse in their flowering. So if you're having problems getting good blooms on them, I tend to look at some uh, brighter light conditions. Now, I don't mean full sun. If, if you do have a full sun location, you'd, you'd want to have some shade cloth protection for the plants. But somewhere that gets some dappled light in the morning, you know, a little bit of morning sun, and then protection in the afternoon, particularly in summer. They tend to flower springtime, but they can now. spot flower yeah. at any time of the year, particularly the hybrids. That's one of the fun things with hybrids because you, you create all these warp genes that don't know what's going on and they'll pop out flowers in the middle of winter. But, yeah, usually as they come out of their dormancy, so the active growth time is is from spring through to autumn, then they basically shut down for the colder months. So if you wanted to do any dividing or, or uh, anything like that with the pots, now would be the time to get into it while, while the active growth is just starting. You don't want to do it when it's cold and wet because the plants just sit and sulk, you know, and, and away you go. So uh, they're a wonderful little orchid. 
And, uh, yeah, just make sure you're giving them plenty of light and they get their water. If we came along to the shower and brought a couple of bulbs along, can, can you identify them at all? If you, if you bring along the flower, the flower, there's a good chance we'll have somebody who'll know exactly which, which particular plant that is. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. And these big old pots that have been neglected for so many years, if we were to try and break them up, mm-hmm. how radical do we need to be uh, as far as old growth and new growth? Okay, any of the old pseudo-bulbs that have lost their leaves but they're still firm, I'd leave them because they're still supplying nutrient to the clump. If they've yellowed and become soft and mushy, if you squeeze them they feel soft, you can get rid of those. Um, they're a tough plant, so if, if if they're hard to get out of the... If they plastic pots or terracotta or what sort of pots are they in? <laughs> They've been in the pot so long, I can't remember. Uh, um, if, if, I was going to say, sometimes it's easy to cut the pot open and, and get it out, but you can basically, um, you know, you, if, if they were big, heavy root clumps, you could take to them with a meat cleaver, you know, and uh, and shove it through and, and <laughs> knock, it, knock it up that way. You know, a bit like you would a cymbidium, you mm, know. They're, right. they're tough old things. And just trim off any rubbish that, that's there, dead roots, and, and put them back in. Just just get some ordinary um, orchid mix from the, from the garden store that y- you have close by, and that will suffice. And they'll probably love it. They'll, they'll take off again. Yeah, well, often uh, a lot of the little bulbs that fall off, I just stick them in yep. the ground and they... Well, you get you get on those those ones you're talking about. There's this wonderful little thing called a kaiki, which is which is a little aerial growth, yeah. and uh, that's the Hawaiian word for baby, which is quite appropriate. And soon as they get roots on them, um, they tend on the wild. They'll just do exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they'll drop off, yeah. and and away they go again. So it's just a vegetative reproduction process, and you can collect little clunks of those and and and. Um, Plant, plant them up at any time. So yeah, before you great. know it, your whole, whole garden's taken over by dendrobium. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Give them away to friends too. There you go. Well, but good luck, but bring along well. any samples you want to identify and we'll have a look at them next weekend for you. Wonderful. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Uh, we're going next to uh, Sonia in Broadmeadows. Good morning, Sonia, and thanks for waiting. That's fine. Thank you very much. I'm afraid it's fairly mundane. It's not all the exotic as it used to be. That's fine. Um, I, I'm just uh, getting to the vegetable garden, um, and I'm planning it. And I've just planted what I call my greens section. And But I've got a question particularly about uh, tomatoes. Uh, every time I've grown tomatoes for years, and I've experienced, will last for four years, I get a yellow leaf. Uh, the leaves go yellow with some something or other, mould or whatever, and die. And I was just wondering, what do I do? I put them in all parts of the garden. I've tried different plants. Some are better than others, but they all end up, uh, the leaves go yellow and uh, they die off. Do I just give up um, growing tomatoes in this patch or what do I do? Um, it's Penny here. There, look, there are people who have trouble with the tomatoes mm. that we've been growing for many years. And one way that you can go is to get some of the more modern hybrids that are actually bred to be resistant to some of our bacterial diseases that are endemic in some gardens. So I know, for instance, that Lamley Nursery, um, who does mail order, they are actually promoting some of these some of mm. these plants that are bred specifically to be disease resistant. Oh. 
So I still stick to growing the heirloom ones, but I don't have the the virus and the bacterial problems that you obviously have. So I would look at having a go at growing some of the seeds from from some of these specifically bred ones. So if you get onto the Lamley website, which is, I'm pretty sure it's just www.lamley.com.au. How do you spell Lamley? L-A-M-B-L-E-Y. E-Y. Yeah, and they they have a seed catalogue and they list about, Oh, 15 or 16 different tomato cultivars yeah. um, and they are more expensive because of the work that has gone into producing them. So you may be looking at paying sort of 8 or $10 for a packet of seed. Mm. Right. Uh, but that, if you've really struggled to grow tomatoes, that's what I would be doing if I were you. Thank you very much. Now, I haven't, may I ask another Absolutely. question? Yes, sure. Yes. Um, I, I grow a set number which I, of plants, which I, I like, uh, I use, and one of them is pumpkins, a spaghetti pumpkin I particularly uh, like. Should I grow that on the ground or should I grow it up a trellis? Oh, look, I think you can do either. I was they, just going to say yes. Well done, Steve. These days I grow all my pumpkins up a trellis. Yeah, well, it takes um, up less space, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, but I do grow smaller ones. So yeah. the spaghetti ones can get quite they big. They can get but, big and heavy. But, you know, you can make little hammocks for them. I've done that as well. You're just using old, old net. Yes, well, you could do that. But <laughs> I can see it in the garden It's going to look wonderful, yeah, Stephen. Get, <laughs> oh, those nice lacy cups. I mean, it, it would work. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'm being facetious, but Penny's right. If you can keep the weight uh, yeah. from ripping them down off the vines, it's yeah. so much easier to maintain things if they're growing up something. And they're less likely to get eaten by the bush rats yeah. and yes, you know, all sorts of things. And, and you end up with a beautifully shaped pumpkin because they're, they're not resting on the ground yeah. where they tend to get yeah. flattened on one side. Yes, and I suppose I could eat them earlier before they get big. Yes, well, well you, can, that, you yeah. can, although sometimes they're not as nice if you haven't let them fully mature. So yeah. you, I, I grow one called Buttercup, which is a really nice pumpkin, a, a bluey-grey mm. skinned one, and it doesn't ever get very big. So oh. it, it grows, I grow it up the, up the, we, my husband actually built me an obelisk. Ah. Um, I asked for an arch and I got an obelisk. But I grow- <laughs> Was that a sort of a uh, uh, bad communication no, thing going no, on? No, no, he just decided an obelisk would be nicer. So oh, right. I, I'm not complaining. Um, but it, it, it's a fabulous shape to grow mm. pumpkins up. And, and, but these, these um, buttercups don't get that big, so mm. they don't need to be supported. And, and they're a perfect size. They're a perfect size for us because we don't necessarily want really big pumpkins. Mm. And yeah, you've got to then make something. Once yeah. you cut one, yeah. you've got well, to really deal There are it. actually a lot of um, so-called mini pumpkins on yeah. the market these days. If you, if you I want just, to these, put This them up. for me is the best flavour. I've tried quite a few of them now, and this one for me has the best true pumpkin flavour. Mm. And it's a beautiful pumpkin. But... Um, yeah, Thanks. so maybe look at a smaller one. You've given me a lot of food for thought. I've got just two quick questions. Sure. One is, um, well, there's two, so please don't stop. Uh, the first one is I didn't quite get with this edible garden show. At, I believe it's the showground, but when? October. Oh, the, yeah, October the 9th to the 11th. 9th, to the, and it's at the showground. Exactly. Yes. Showgrounds. Yeah. I used to go to the Royal Show for the, for the gardens, you know, once, and now, of course, that doesn't exist. No, they, no. Well, they used to have Centennial Hall where all the yeah, nurseries used right. to be and all that sort of <clears> stuff. <throat> but uh, I haven't been to the showgrounds, well, it must be 20 years or yeah, more. Yeah, well, the show, the show is on this weekend. Mm, yeah, it is on at the moment, yeah. yeah. But I'm not really into those whizzy rides and show bags. <laughs> but, uh, there you there's go. a lot of other things there. It's a lot of food things <laughs> yeah. these days. Mm. So if you're a foodie, there's some... Mm. 
good stuff. Actually, I'd like to go for the animals. I mean, that's something that I always did enjoy was going and look at the chooks and the the cattle and all that stuff. Now, can I ask question last one? I've got termites in my fruit tree. Uh Uh-oh. Well, um, I I had to get them pruned, and the person came in and showed me in the centre of a cherry plum I have at the back. I didn't realise. There's this... Um, it, it looks all the world, um, the features of a large uh, termite nest. There's nothing there, just the rotted uh, trunk um, with the other trunks coming up the side. So you haven't found actually any termites no. in there? No, but I've, I've seen, it, it could either only be termites or beetles. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I don't know it's, about if it's termites, they'll only be living on dead wood anyway. Yeah. Termites don't live on live wood, so the tree would have already had to have a dead heart for a termite nest to sort of set up in there. Ah, yeah, well, that's true. So, therefore, it's not liable to spread no. to the living barrows. No. no, absolutely not. No. And you don't have to worry about it spreading to the house if your house mm. is protected with, you know, the mm. normal stuff that is yeah. done to houses. You know, termites, we have termites all over the place yeah. in our area. Um, and as long as they're mm. not getting into the house, they're really not an issue because, no. as you say, they only get into dead wood and yeah. they're part of the way that trees rot down and they're yeah, part, of the, part of the cycle. Yeah. So it's not a, something you need to panic no. about. No, no. And, and I'd still like to know it's actually too much. So you may well find you've just got a whole pile of uh, rotting wood fibre. No, no, no it's def- I, I work with termites in my younger days. But I was going to say, you haven't seen any termites, so... No, no, that's, that's what puzzled me. Yeah, so, and that's why I'm suggesting I don't think it is them. I just think that it's rotted wood that's sort of built up in the, no, in the cavity it, it, of the tree. There, there's little cavities, there's mm. little... little um, yeah, but that might be just sort of um, anyway, advantageous look, that's a good thing. Anyway, I'll so. go back and examine yeah. it. Yeah. But even if it is, as you're saying, of course, it, it won't affect the living tree. No, and, no. and, and yes. look, the, the damage that's done to this tree, uh, well, when I say damage, the dead wood that's in that tree wasn't started by the termites. No. So they're living on, on the, on the um, yes. uh, product thereof. Yes. Uh, and so that section of the tree is already dead yes. uh, and it's not going to make it any worse. I mean, the tree itself may become unsound in time, but it won't be the termites' fault. Yes. No, that's what I had it pruned for. And last thing, how do I grow nasturtiums? I can't grow them. What? <laughs> I'm not yes, sure I'd be prepared to admit now you know that. My little gardening. <laughs> uh, normally, you sprinkle seeds around and step back, um, <laughs> and they'll be up every year. Yeah, and they come back year after year after year. Now's the perfect time to plant them if you mm. want to have another go. So I'll try now yep. and tell them that they're supposed to do this. Yes, yes. So tell yes. them yes. that Steve said. Yeah. Steve said that it's you've got to grow. Yeah, okay. uh, I mean, I pull the damn things out all the time. They come mm. up everywhere I don't want them. Exactly, uh, and I just leave enough to keep the cycle going uh, and pull out those that are going to swamp things around them. And eat them, I hope. Yeah, well, in some cases I do, but there's only so much of it you can mm. eat. You know, if you end up with half a paddock full of nasturtiums yes. and there's only two <coughs> of us in the house, uh, it does make life a bit difficult. Yeah. And I'm at the moment trying to eat my way through all our miners' lettuce that's come up everywhere in the garden, and that's hard enough as it is. Uh, oh, but... yes. Is it possible the one very, very last question? Sure. Mm. I grew uh, kale, a Tuscan, mm-hmm. yep. and I find it... For my for my purposes, it's absolutely ideal. I freeze it. I use it for smoothies. I put it in my veggies. Blah blah. I like, it. but it's got underneath it all these little white little fly things. Yeah, it's probably uh, white, white fly. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and it's absolutely encrusted with it. Does it matter if I eat them? No, they just add probably, protein. Probably not. <laughs> I can't see that it would do you any harm, although I'd probably wash the leaves. No, they don't wash off. It's all water resistance. The yeah. back of the Tuscan uh, uh, kale yeah. is very, has its own uh, water resistance somehow. Yeah. 
So, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. I mean, it's certainly not going to do you any harm. No, okay. But if you're a vegetarian, they are an animal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but plants also scream, you know. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. So I can eat eat the uh, little critters, and I have to tell the nasturtiums to grow. Yeah. Yes. And uh, your your advice on the tomato, uh, sorry, yes, tomato plants has been very helpful. Good. Okay. Well done. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. And uh, next up, we're going to Kerry, who's in Chelsea. Good morning, Kerry. Oh, good morning, panel. Uh, I was wanting to ask a question about gloriosa lilies. Mm. Is it time now to dig them up and transplant them? Yeah, because some are growing. They are. Mm. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah, so, so if you're going to deal with them, you need to deal with them now. Do mm. them now? Yeah, I would. And which way do I plant them up? Fingers down, I think, for memory. Fingers down. Yeah, yeah, they've got that sort of fingery look to them. and yeah, It's a while since I've grown any, but uh, my gut feeling is you put the <laughs> fingers down. Okay, then. Um, thank you. Now, I've also um, planted some seeds of tomatoes, and we purchased them from Lamley. But I've only got one little weeny one come up, and I've had them in about two weeks. So yeah, look, it's it's, it's it is a cool. little bit early, depending yeah. on where you're where you are and how you're doing it. Um, I've got them inside. Yep. Yeah. And I I would have thought they'd be up in two weeks, yeah. but I, I'd give them a few more days. Oh, I would because mm. mine was yeah. slow to come up, and now they're all up. But they, yeah. they, I would say that they only just started after two weeks, and some some sort of struggled mm. up after mm. three weeks. So I I would persevere. No, yeah, I do. Ha- I didn't plant them all at once, so I could. Oh, you've got staggered in. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So if I put the others in now and just yes. see what happens, yeah. yes, Look, that'd be fine. The other thing that you can try, particularly if you want to try and get seeds going a bit early, is mm. is to get one of the simple heat pads mm. that you oh, can okay. put underneath your seedling trays, and it just it does help them to appear a bit more quickly, and, yeah. and there's less chance that you're going to get. Um, one of the rots, one of the diebacks that you can get when you when you're planting seeds inside and keeping them moist. Oh, okay. And should I moisten them each day or just? Um, oh yes, don't like, let them dry out. Oh, okay. But you also don't want them to be yeah. Solid, solid. No, so it's I a use a spray a bottle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a balanced thing. You've got to keep the yeah. surface just moist. Yes, um, okay. but you don't want it to be soggy, wet underneath. No, no, no. I've no. actually got one of those cheap little things that you can screw on the end of a soft drink bottle. Yeah, that is like a little watering can ah, yeah. head, and you just up to upside down it and squeeze it and just. Put a bit of mm. um, moisture on it that well, way. As I say, I just use a cheap spray, spray bottle yeah. and spray them yeah. twice a day. Oh, yeah. twice a day. Yep. Well, maybe, I hope I haven't let them dry out then. Maybe. Yeah, well, you've got to remember when a seed germinates, it's just below the surface. Yeah. And if the surface is dry and it's started to germinate, well, then it can't It's got to have down. its roots getting yeah. into moist soil. Oh, yeah. okay yeah. then. Yeah. All right, I'll try that. Good thing. luck. Well, thank you. And let us know how they go. I will. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. I hope they come up because I was sick of my tomatoes uh, not being the right variety that I would buy, purchase. So mm. I thought, oh, well, I'll give. And when I went up to Lamley's, his, his looks so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, David's yeah, vegetable a, garden is sickeningly beautiful. Yeah. And it's a bit of this, this whole thing with tomatoes is a bit of a mission for David. Yeah. So, it, look, it's worth, I think it's worth trying if you've been struggling. So, oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Good on you. Thank you. Have a okay. good day. Bye. Oh, can I ask you another question? If you're quick. Yes, I'll be quick. Um, now, someone's garden in several, I can't remember the lady. Virginia. Name. Virginia on the 3rd and the 4th. What was her address again? Uh, 
Let me just uh, get it. Sorry. Number 50. Number 50. Linwood, that's L-I-N-W-O-O-D, yes. Linwood Road in Seville. Seville. Thank you so and much. And she'll have the address of the other four gardens. Yes, I was out walking when I was listening to you. So okay. I'll ring you when I come back. Okay. That's right. fine. Fabulous. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye. Um, let's get back to some of these flowers. We haven't talked about any of the blooms you've brought in, Richard. And oh. some of them are absolutely stunning. <laughs> I guess uh, one of the things with, with we had that caller earlier talking about the little kingianums or the dendrobiums, yes, and this little display, which people in the studio have the pleasure of being able to see. <laughs> it's but been I gorgeous. just brought that in simply because at the very end we have the species. Yeah, so you've got the wild form, the wild form, and and the different hybrid forms that you can get. That they've created. Not only colours change, but size of flowers. Yeah. Become well, remarkable. the size. You see, when we get up, there's one here that is significantly larger, and that's where the speciosum ah, comes so in. So, yeah. when we cross the kingianum with the speciosum, we get the size, we get the colours. Another one that is popular in these, although a little bit fickle to grow, is they introduce the tetragonin, which is another species of, of um, epiphyte. But they're yellow, and that brings in the yellow colour tone. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I was reading something just generally with orchids, and I mean, you know, roses would leave them for dead as number of hybrids. But um, around the world, there's over a hundred thousand cultivars of mm. orchids, mm. and and you know, we forget that orchids are the most floristic plant next to daisies. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're the huge uh, daisies are the only things that rival them for the number of species. So there's that popularity. So we've got that there. The the, the Racema I've got here, which is gives you an idea that, that this is the speciosum, which is a yellowy colour. Now, range is it still from a white. dendrobium? I it's thought. a dendrobium. Well, that's, I heard that's something dispute. at some stage. Yes, there's 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 a lot of dispute about um, Dochrelia, dendrobium, all these things at the moment. Um, we basically don't have any hard and fast rules. We let people call them what they're happy <laughs> with, and I've always had the attitude. That the plant doesn't care. Well, the plant doesn't, <laughs> it, but it, it does matter if you try to buy it. That's yeah. right. But most of them will, will still be under the speciosum yeah. um, regime. And, of course, the other little ones that we've got here is, is um, a pot of the greenhoods, which most people or many people that have been out in the bush will have come across mm. at one time or another. Um, the terrestrials range from... Very easy to grow to basically Almost impossible. impossible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, these these green hoods are basically. I've got I've got a cl- no a number of clumps in the garden, mm. and if you've got a native garden, they can be in the right aspect. These can be a beautiful understory. I've got mm. a couple of patches which at the moment have got you know probably two hundred yeah. you know blooms wow. up. Wow! And of course, you just, it just looks after itself. Once you get past the slugs and snails, and yeah, all I was going to ask about that because I know that's one of the issues some of these orchids have is that they're absolutely delicious to slugs they, and snails. They are, and and blackbirds love pecking them out if you if you have <sighs> those things. But I, I've 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 found the easy way to get them established if you do put some in the garden or you want to try it is just get an old wire hanging basket and turn it upside down and just stake it over so that stops the birds from getting to them. Oh, yeah. and then. A bit of snail pellets around if you haven't got pets or you might want to use one of those containers that they can go in just to protect the area. And once they get established, you can basically remove that after after the you know first season mm. and they'll just spread because they, they send out little underground rhizomes oh, yeah. and they have new tubers so they multiply vegetatively underground. So they'll, just, they'll just spread. Mm. Beautiful. Gorgeous. So can you tell me which one I saw in New Caledonia? 
Um, actually, I have got it. It's, it could be. It could be. Um, which is one of the taranta they, they're trying to call it now. Which mm. has got the tongued labellum. I've got some at home mm. actually. From from um, I'm, the name escapes me. But yeah. uh, was it a brownish colour uh, or green? It was more green than brown. Okay. Well, that, mm. that's not the one I'm thinking mm. of then. Yeah. But there, there's a there's quite a and lot. Th- over this there. thing was growing on this mountainside up a wet, soggy track. Okay. That we just about drowned on the track. Yep. Uh, and it was just coming up in the in the sort of rises of the the rough path that were, was up there. And here's these little. Orchids, orchids coming out. It was fantastic. Oh, they, 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 there's one of the one of the green combs that the summer flowering, uh, sorry, green hoods, summer flowering ones. They call it Terrastylus falcata, and it actually grows on stream banks. Oh, yeah. And uh, in winter, it'll actually be submerged. Yeah. And the rosettes they form underwater, and then as the streams subside, as as the warmth comes in in the summer flow, then they, they, they begin to flower. Interestingly enough, the type site for that plant where it was discovered was Dandenong Creek in Oakley. <laughs> Good heavens! <laughs> oh, there you go. I went there the other week and there was some shopping trolleys, but uh, <laughs> yeah, not no. much else in Dandenong <laughs> Creek. Oh, dear. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, dear. Uh, we seem to have uh, Hugh back again online. Good morning, Hugh, again. Yeah, I, 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 I still have problems to sorting myself out. Uh, that Stephen Carey. Now, first, I want to talk to Penny. Penny, I must tell you how you can get nice, nice advertisement for your organization, whichever. That John Feynman on on and on three LO, he can't grow garlic. So if you go on talkback, fancy the fancy the propaganda you can make over Victoria if you sort John Fain out who can't grow garlic. Thanks, Hugh. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? Now, the other thing is with Stephen, I can't get my bombing gear, but to the best of my knowledge, Gloriosa Lily is a, a tuber. It grows in form of a horseshoe, and once it is a horseshoe and you have dug it out, you break it into half, and that's how you propagate them. Yeah, well, the lady and wasn't asking about... Flat. You lie them flat, not upside down or downside up. They lie flat, some deep. Yeah, the the lady didn't want to divide them, so we weren't talking about propagating. Um, and in fact, gloriosas are one of those things that you know, if you threw them into a pot, they'd all grow. Uh-huh. So I, I mean, things like aracemas and other things like that, you really should get them right way up. But gloriosas, I mean, they've got that sort of ends to them, and and I'm happy just to whack them in. Yeah, no, I think. I think they have to be um, uh, some deep and they're flat. And the problem is if you put them in a pot and say the pot is 12 inch deep or 30 centimeters, 300 mil, whatever you like to call it, uh, you find them at the end of the year at the bottom of the pot. Yeah, they'll pull themselves right down because they like a lot of depth. In fact, I'd rather put them in a deeper pot than a shallower one. Oh, yeah, well, it's fatal to put them into a shallow Mm. pot. They have to be in a deep pot. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought they'd go flat. Yeah, well, I've always just stuck them with the the fingers in. So it just goes to show that it probably doesn't matter, Hugh. Yeah, well, as I said, I can't sort myself out today. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) All right. And and, and, uh, apparently there are two anus... Shows one must be the one from the man who is your guest, 
And the other one is at the Montrose Town Hall, I think. But I have no flyers, I can't tell you. But I do know Maruna has a show, and uh, and uh, Montrose has an Anos show. So I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, everybody, a nice weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. See you later, Hugh. Okay, yes, a reminder, Stephen, because you're heading straight off from here yes, back uh, up to Bolabek. Yes, up to, up to Bolabek. Uh, please, if you, can, if you can get in your car and come up to Macedon today, it would be the perfect day to do it. And the Garden Lovers Fair will be at Bolabek starting at 10 o'clock this morning, but you can get into the car park from half past nine, and it's just going to be fantastic. I mean, we've got all those fabulous growers and suppliers of all sorts of fabulous garden product uh, and a magnificent garden to wander through. Mm. I mean, it's a heritage-listed garden. Uh, It was originally the Oswald Syme property who used to own the age, and it is just the most exquisitely beautiful garden. So you've got that to look at. You've got food and coffee to have, and you've got all those plant suppliers there, all for the cost of 10 bucks, and it's well worth it. So please come up to Macedon today. Absolutely, and a reminder that the car park doesn't open until half an hour before the show. Yeah, so 9.30 you can get into the car park, otherwise you'll have to go up and have a coffee up at the local shop or something like that if you're running too early. Uh, But if you're leaving now, you won't be running too early. Okay. Yes, and, um, oh, it's going to be a glorious day. Oh, All yeah. the best for it. No, I think it should be great. So hopefully we'll see everybody up at Bolabek today. Absolutely. And Richard, a reminder to all our listeners about the show next weekend. That's right. Saturday and Sunday, that's the 26th and 27th of September, 9am to 4pm at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. It's right opposite Mount Waverley Station, so you it's can really come by easy. car or by train. Mm. Yes. And uh, as I said, plant sales, demonstrations, talks, displays, you name it, we've got it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely another wonderful event, both both annual events, so it's great. But uh, looking at just at the flowers you've brought in this morning, the show is going to be a sensation. I, oh, I certainly hope so. I know it will I be. I know it will be. And the, and the people that put in the work will be well rewarded for everything that they do. Yes, yep. for sure. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay, um, I must thank uh, Rosemary, who's been handling all the calls this morning for us. Um, A big reminder, of course, that uh, we will be back next week at 7.30. Coming up next is Alternative News, so until next week, it's bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.